Hello, and welcome to the Playwrights Union Podcast. I'm Eric Rudnick. And I'm Bianca Sands. I am a playwright, TV writer, and screenwriter, among other things. I am a multi-hyphenate who spends most of her time writing. Thanks for joining us. First, we want to acknowledge our presence on the ancestral and unceded territory of the Gabrielina Tongva people. The Playwrights Union is an inclusive collective of playwrights here in Los Angeles. We have readings and mixers and challenges, and it's a fantastic community. However, when these in-person events were no longer possible, we really miss getting together with our fellow writers and friends and our extended community that's been created over the years through the union. And out of that missing, this podcast was born. We also wanted to widen the circle and have you listening right now be a part of this. Yes. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. We're wanting to hopefully bring our community to their community. It'll be great. Bianca. Yes. What have you seen lately, live or virtually, that gave you, as Stephen Adley Gerges once said, that all over body feeling that only theater can give? Since I am not doing things in person, everything I am doing is digital. Um, and so I'm doing, I did, I've done a couple of things. I saw Clyde through um, Second Stage Theater in New York and it was great and it was funny and it was amazing and was cool that you could listen to the audience as the show was going on. So it literally felt like you were there. Like you literally hear people telling jokes and <laughs> like not just the actors, like you could hear the audience. So it felt really real and it felt like being in the theater even though I was sitting on my couch getting to have a drink and use my own bathroom, which was great. Um, and then I just saw, which I've seen in person and I did enjoy seeing In the Heights, the movie that they made. Um, which, you know, being able, having to, seen both, it was kind of interesting to see, like, how much it expanded, you know, when you could do it on film, but, like, I really enjoyed that. And then I've also been reading plays, which has been so exciting to read new plays. So that's what I've been up to. What about you? I love that you saw Clyde. I was wanting to see it, and I didn't even know that it was available virtually, but I guess you just have to look around. Yeah. I recently saw uh, Paul Grelong's play. Uh, he's a playwrights union alumni his play power of sale at the geffen here in los angeles Ooh. really really great work with brian cranston and amy brenneman and just a really really great cast also i saw how we got on i think it's called at the broadwater sacred fools Ooh. which was really fun the whole stage was set up like a dj battle these giant records and there was a DJ the whole show who kind of served as like a Greek chorus and that was great really fun imaginatively uh, staged and also saw a reading of Eric Liu's play uh, called This Is Only a Test in Chicago saw that virtually um, about a school that's going through uh, active shooter drills, which I thought was great. And then uh, pow uh, the other thing I saw was at the Amundsen, which is still running right now as we speak, is uh, the Lehman Trilogy, which is beautifully done, directed by Sam Mendes, and just one of the more theatrical things I've seen in the last 20 years, I'd say. Ooh, so much exciting theater. Oh, yeah, it's out there if you look for it, people. Yes. We are excited today because one of the things we wanted to do with this podcast was interview members of the Playwrights Union. And as you'll hear um, a little bit now and later, 
there's some amazing people in this group. They're doing amazing things. They're working in every aspect of entertainment. They're getting their work done, but they're also fascinating people. And we realized that why not start by talking to some of them? And the first person we're going to talk to is... Jen Haley. That's right. Jennifer Haley is a playwright who started the Playwrights Union years ago. And we figured what better way to start this whole process and this journey. I hate the word journey, but there it is. (laughs) <laughs> what better way to get rolling with the interviews than to talk with Jennifer Haley? So without further ado, please welcome to the Playwrights Union podcast, the amazing Jen Haley. So, uh, Jen, welcome. It's great to see y'all. I was kind of thinking about the question of the moment as an audience member. And what's crazy is my brain is so foggy from not having seen theater in almost two years that I'm like, what was the last time I had as an audience member where I was like, you know, where something really happened? It's been so long. Anyway. Well, we're going to get to that at the end. So you have time to think about it. And maybe our stories will inspire a story from you by the time we finish speaking our nonsense. Okay. Also, you can talk about it in, from the uh, virtual space because that's what I did. <laughs> so I'm like, I haven't been out. I've been watching things virtually. So virtual count. So please welcome to the Playwrights Union interview seat, Jennifer Haley. Hello. (laughs) I guess this this is where I say something. Hello. It's wonderful to be here. And thank you for putting this together, Eric. It's a pleasure. I'm so glad we're able to do this. Tell everybody where you're uh, Zooming in from. I am Zooming in from Austin, Texas, which is where I live now. And you are uh, the founder of the Playwrights Union, we said a little bit earlier. So what we wanted to talk about is a little bit of context for that and how you got started as a playwright and then how you came out to Los Angeles and started the Playwrights Union. I got started as a playwright through, well, I was an actor first. Um, I think a lot of us, many of us sometimes spoke out <laughs> as actors and I acted my way through high school and then I... Uh, I was not going to act in college. I was going to do something responsible with my life. So I went into liberal arts. But my freshman year, I just kept rehearsing in these, you know, off-campus plays. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to keep doing this, I might as well. I might as well um, actually join the drama department. So I did. And and I performed. And then as my in my senior year, because I was also getting a liberal arts degree and had to do a thesis, I decided to write and produce and perform in a play somewhat driven by my desire to write like uh, a couple of like super cool female roles, um, which I I felt there was a dearth of. Um, So I invited my, my, uh, one of my talented friends who I was in school with to perform with me and another woman to, to direct us. And, and um, we put the super cool show together and then one of the playwriting teachers uh, at UT, University of Texas here at the time, Susan Zeter, came to see the show and she came up to me afterwards and she said, you're a playwright. So, um, and I was kind of surprised because this was all supposed to be, you know, a platform for my acting. <laughs> <laughs> but as the years went by, I kind of discovered that I really liked, you know, I preferred like getting up in the morning and writing um, as opposed to staying up late and performing and um 
I think for me, I'm actually a more private person. So leaving the stage was actually not hard for me. It was, it was kind of hard for me to be up there so publicly. Um, and I kind of enjoyed being, you know, sort of behind the curtain, sort of pulling the levers behind the curtain and, and world building. Um, so the, the writing is what I, I leaned into. You liked the power. This sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a much better way of putting it, Bianca. I wanted the power. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I was also a writer turned actor, so I'm, I'm laughing because it's like people are like, oh, it's the ego. And it's like, no, you described it actually perfectly well to, I think, a lot of people's experiences. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear um, that from you, that it is a journey you also took. I have to say same because I also started out as an actor and I was like <laughs> doing pretty good. And then I was in a couple of things and I was like, if you think you can do better than this, then do it because the world doesn't need more actors looking for work, but it does need better plays. So, you know, <laughs> I was like uh, challenging myself and then I was like, do it. So uh, I think we're all three in the same uh cut from the same mold in that regard. But Jen, you are not from Los Angeles yet. You made a community in Los Angeles that now through this podcast is reaching around the world. So how did you go from, I am now a playwright to coming out to Los Angeles and then starting the playwrights union? Well, then becoming a playwright was kind of a journey and it was similar to the acting thing in which, you know, I kind of decided um, becoming a playwright wasn't really, um, a great long-term goal because what, you know, how on earth was I going to make a living? But again, I just kept writing plays. Um, I became a web designer and any money I made, I would produce my plays. And, and I was like, again, I was like, I think I just need to lean into this and see if I can make a career of it. Um, and I gave myself 10 years to do that. And in that time I went to, uh, I went to, uh, graduate school coming out of graduate school. It was the same thing it was like, now, how, what am I going to, how am I going to, apply my skills in a way, um, where I can make a living out of it. And, and, um, I did not want to become a professor, um, because even though I loved teaching students, I find universities to be very political places. Um, and I kind of wanted more freedom than that freedom to move where I wanted to move. So I started watching television, which I had been pretty disdainful of for the longest time, but it was at this, it was at the point in time where cable was coming out and, and, and there were shows targeted to more niche audiences. And, and I was watching this material. It was very smart. And, um, I'm also a Texas girl and I like warm weather. So instead of moving to New York after graduate school, I came out to LA. And interestingly, once I got to LA, I moved in with a director friend of mine who kind of had an embedded theater community in Los Angeles and um, we had this big backyard and we would put on 10 minute play festivals. And it was a very, it was like being in theater dorm again, even though by this time I was like in my <laughs> mid thirties, <laughs> I was like theater, I can't quit you. And I had started trying my hand at writing um, for film, but honestly, when I first started out, um, I was just not, it was, it was really hard. I wasn't really getting it from reading books and stuff. So, and I was very plugged into my playwriting at the time. I felt like I was on a really um, exciting adventure with my playwriting. So I really spent mostly the first seven years of my time in LA writing plays and not very much and trying to write spec scripts. Um, 
And during that time, again, we had um, my roommates and I had this big backyard and I had, I felt in, in talking to the few other people, playwrights town, I knew that there was this um, need for a community um, Center Theater Group had had a writers group for a long time, and they had gone through some structural changes, and that group was no no longer meeting. And so I reached out to some friends, and I was like, "Tell your friends um, that let's start a." I thought it would just be like a monthly writers group. You know, we would meet once a month, we'd share pages, we'd we you know um, we'd uh, help each other on each other's plays. And when folks showed up in my yard, I think there were about 12 to 15 of us that first day, there was, again, there was so clearly the way people were talking, they were just like, we want a group, you know, we want like to do this, we want to do that. And, and, and I was just like, as long as I don't have to produce anything, as long as we don't have to produce, I had, gone through, <laughs> I had done like, you know, helped run a small theater company and knew how much work went into it. And of course, you know, a year later, we started up a public reading event that we had to produce. But it was kind of like I had that feeling of, OK, I've kind of started this and the group wants it to wants the vision to be large. So um, let's go ahead and step into that and figure out what this could be. And that was the, the birth of the Playwrights Union. I love this. I mean, it's also a safe space. I mean, I'm newer, been in a couple of years, but like when I moved to L.A., um, I knew Lisa and Lisa was like, oh, my gosh, there's a pool party and all these playwrights are going to be there. And literally, I didn't understand, I think, for the first few times that I was meeting with people that there was like a writing component of it because there were social engagements where it was just, it was like when we lived in New York where you would just like go hang out with other people who were like theater nerds who just needed a safe space. And I found that so welcoming and so exciting to be like, oh yeah, we're just like hanging out at somebody's house and like eating food and talking and it was so amazing that you created this safe space for other writers to be um and how exciting that is and so for me a question I have I guess to piggyback on Eric's question is like how did that develop like you're saying the first one you know you had this backyard there were 12 or 16 people but it's you know like right now I think what is it 30 that's usually in the group at any one time like how did how did it build out and and what was your visioning of like how this could be because I feel like what you've done people could do in their own communities they could literally decide hey we too want to do this so I'm wondering if you have any tips or tricks or or antidotes that would help somebody else who's out there right now thinking oh my god I want to do that (laughs) like I want (laughs) that Um, and as a person who's joined your band of theater people I I appreciated. So I don't know if there's anything there you want to say. Well, the first thing we started with is still, I think, our most um, kind of iconic bit of programming, if you will, and that is the, the February Writing Challenge. Um, and I got that idea from, it's kind of a longer version of what I studied with Paula Vogel, she sponsors um, these things called bake-offs and the bake-offs were this kind of quick and dirty writing exercise. And not only did they like force you to write, but they also in getting everyone together and everyone um, reading their pages amongst each other and talking about them, they were kind of like these marathon um, internal play readings, but they were also these incredible bonding experiences and helped make everyone feel 
um, productive in their work as opposed to just, you know, days and days of writing alone and not knowing if you're moving towards something and not having a necessarily having people to share it with at the end of the, you know, at the end of whatever you're trying to do. So I brought this to the group. Do we want to do some kind of bake-off thing? But what everyone seemed to want was a vehicle for not just writing a few pages, but writing um, a full first draft or, you know, taking a stab at a first draft of something. So that's when we talked about challenging ourselves to write a first draft of a play over the course of a month. And anyone who participated in it, we would get together over a long weekend and read all the plays. And it was a huge, I think, challenge. And the first time we did it, though, it had that same uh, magical quality, I felt like, in that we all uh, wrote or took, you know, massive stabs at brand new plays. I mean, I think I can't remember how many of us were in the first one, it was eight or 10 people. We all had brand new plays at the end of it. And the and the reading weekend was both grueling and and so rewarding um, and and such a way for writers to bond. So that was our that was our first time to do the writing challenge. And it is our signature um, piece. And, and anyone, anyone can do that. And then all of our, our other programs kind of came off of recommendations by our members, um, which, as you talked about, Bianca, we decided to set our membership at 30. It seemed like a workable group. And um, people can people come in by member recommendation. And then when people move on from the group, a lot of times people get busy. They don't have time anymore. They become alum. So we do have this larger group of alum. But our core group is about 30 people. And that just seemed like the number that we could kind of, we could keep in touch with easily and we could get, you know, at least half that group of people to any one event, if not more than half. Um, So a little bit random, but it just felt like, it it just felt like the area, it just felt like the size of, of people who um, we could all keep in touch with functionally. Um, And then, yeah, our other programs came off of other people's ideas. So, for example, um, Lisa Kenner Grissom, who you've mentioned, Bianca, she had the idea of why don't we have a fall writing retreat and we can all um, um, contribute towards uh, one of these 12 bed Airbnbs up in Big Bear and we'll go up and make it a long weekend and we'll um, have silent writing time during the day. We'll all cook uh, together in the evenings and spend the evenings talking and socializing. And, and so that's how that program came about. And that's become, um, up until COVID, that's become a staple of what we do. And the pool parties, I mean, we were in LA, one of our members had a pool, why not have a pool party? <laughs> um, I do think that the, and the pool party was also an opportunity. That's, that's an event where we want the members to like bring their kids and bring their spouses and um, just keep reinforcing the idea that this, this isn't about, you know, ego driven playwrights trying to, you know, get ahead. It's about the work and it's about your life. Love it. That's the origin story. You guys, that is the origin story of the playwrights union. So if you came for that, you got your money's worth. Woohoo. And one of our members, Lolly Ward, uh, moved to Portland and she has started, and I wish I remember the name, I should get the name, um, uh, she started a version of the Playwrights Union. 
Um, and we've had like, there's a, a young woman who was in that version who came down to LA, her name's Brianna. And she was like, I was in Lolly's version of the Playwrights Union up in Portland. So we have, we do have one, at least one successful export of the Playwrights Union in another city. I love it. And now you're in Austin. Um, how is that? Um, as a writer, um, is it, is it rebuilding community? I mean, you're from Texas, so, um, but I'm not sure you're from Austin. So I guess I'm just wondering, like having had that here and you're now, you're still a writer, you're still a playwright, you're still a TV writer, you still like community. How are you building or thinking of community in your new home? So I've reconnected with a lot of my theater pals from my time here before I ended up living in Austin off and on for 10 years um, and doing a lot in the community. And I have, you know, I'm, I'm seeing everybody again, but honestly, right now, the group I have started, it's a very small group. It's about five, five of us right now. And it's called flip Texas with friends. Uh, one of the, I, there were many reasons for me coming back to Texas. My family lives here. I'm able to work over zoom now. Um, I was able to, uh, buy my first home, but also, you know, I think Texas is ground zero for a lot of the, um, culture craziness that is going on right now. And, um, my vote and my voice here, I knew or I felt would make a bigger difference than in California. So those are where my efforts are going now. What's exciting, though, is having left Texas and come back, um, kind of the connections I built in different parts of the country, all of those still flow through Austin. Coming up in in April is the Fusebox Festival, which is an international performance festival. It was started by a former colleague of mine from Austin named Ron Barry. And um, they have amazing performers come in from all over the world, a lot of experimental theater. And for example, uh, Sylvan Oswald, who is now Ooh. a playwright and teacher at UCLA, is going to be here performing his play, High Winds. And um, we were emailing because I was like, because Sylvan didn't know I had moved here. And I was like, I live here now. And he was like, do you know so-and-so and so-and-so? And I was like, oh, yeah. And I know so-and-so and so-and-so. And we all know people from like Seattle and from, um, and from, I first met Sylvan when I was in graduate school. So, and maybe, you know, this is, I think, perhaps a plus side to Zoom. So it, it's not as, in terms of, of group communication, um, it is a different energy than live, you know, than being together live. And yet um, the plus side of it is that I think it does, as we are doing now, it, it allows for um, people in different geographical locations to kind of be in the same space together. So I'm happy to be in Austin, but psychically I am, I am still with my friends and compatriots in LA. And I've been working with the TV writers room over Zoom and that group is kind of my, you know, those are my coworkers. I spend time with them every day. In the past, I think I might have felt like, and, and when I lived in Austin before, I felt like I wanted a bigger pond to swim in. And I did that. But now that I'm here, I don't feel like I've gone to some smaller pond. I just feel like all of the professional and psychic cr connections I've created in the 20 years I was gone are still alive as well. That's amazing that you've been able to foster community in a couple of different places without losing the communities as you do what you need to do and move from place to place. It's it's because we haven't spoken in a while and it feels like uh, we're picking up a conversation we had last night. So that's a testament to you and the 
community that you bring with you and just keep adding on to. Uh, and this podcast grew out of that because it doesn't stop. You know, when you're thinking and talking about writing with other writers, it never goes away and it just grows. So if we're hearing, if somebody's hearing this for the first time, you know, this is the recipe. <laughs> and that's what I like tell, you know, young playwrights or people, you know, I, I'm like, like, what is it, you know, what's the key to success or whatever. And I'm like, longevity, um, be the tortoise instead of the hare. Like the longer you stay in, honestly, what starts happening is that the fainter apart because it's very difficult. Um, it, it's as you get older, I think it becomes harder and harder to put in the definitely put in free time to work on theater projects and and people fall away. And if you're left standing, you know, if you're still doing the work and dedicated to your craft uh, 10 years down the line and 20 years down the line, um, you're going to be walking along with all of the other people who have stuck with it as well. And your relationships will have just become um, deeper. I love that. And, and also like with Playwrights Union, like the idea of like stepping aside of each other, right. And helping each other stay in the game and get your work done and talking about things and, like, I think that's why I loved some of it where we were like, yeah, we're on a campfire and it's just like, you know, which is the question that's on the list that I do want to know for yours um, that I love asking too. Like sometimes it's also where you share like tools where you're like, okay, what are your writing tips? Like, what are your writing snacks? Like, it's the thing we do. We spend all these time by ourselves in front of a computer. Like we want to know what other people do so that like it can inspire us to do cool things. Like what's your favorite yeah, like, are there tips and tricks you have to, like, get yourself into writing or when you're stuck? Or my favorite question is always, what you eating? What are you eating? Like, I always have, like, eight different types of tea. My husband comes in and he's like, seriously? Like, how many beverages are in front of you at any given time? So, um, for me, food is a part of my process. Um, <laughs> Peanut butter filled so pretzels. Ooh, I love this. The the ones that are sourdough and the salt on the outside, or just the straight pretzels with the peanut butter on the inside. They've got the they've got the the H E B, which is the big grocery chain here. Uh, they've got these pretty amazing like little little pretzel squares, little puffy pretzel squares filled with quote peanut butter, and <laughs> those are perfect for the four p.m. <laughs> energy slump yeah. <laughs> all right what other tricks and tips um do you <laughs> a lot of people say they don't like writing they like having written mm -hmm. so I think that's a day-to-day -day thing some days you're like yes I want to write and sometimes you're like mur, mur. um what are some things you do when you don't feel like writing to help you get into the mind space to write what do I do? Well, after I have needlessly surfed the web and freaked <laughs> myself out with current events and gotten angry about a bunch of stuff, I finally like open up my document. And um, I mean, really, I let, especially in the first draft kind of a stage, I let myself write poorly um, and just get stuff down on the page. It's with plays when I'm writing plays, I really, especially when I'm writing new plays, I really just let characters, I just want to hear characters talk. So, you know, I'll just, you know, write the name down and make them say stuff and it might be ludicrous, but I just want to start hearing them talk. And with screenplays, um, and I like 
I'll, I'll usually start off putting more ideas down, like ideas and prose and images and visuals. And um, so I have slightly different, slightly different ways in with the different genres, but really, especially when, and then in, in terms of rewriting, if I'm into a project, then the rewriting, it might be hard, but I usually find it pretty compelling. And, you know, and then sometimes I'm just, I realize I'm just maybe not so into a project or I can't, I can't figure out anymore how to make it work. And sometimes I put it down <laughs> and move on to other things <laughs> and just try not to punish myself for <laughs> <laughs> yes. my, my brother has, he's hilarious. My brother's a visual artist and he's much younger than I am. He, he said to me one time, he imagined that my, he's hilarious. He imagined that I had this life where I just sat down to write every day and I was in this state of free flowing ecstasy and the words just tumbled out. And I was like, you know, um, you know, and I was like getting high and doing this and that, you know, just like I had the life and it was all just happening. And I looked at him, I was like, dude, <laughs> it's like eating vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Crying into your computer by yourself. <laughs> I like to say, I'm always like, I literally cry into my computer by myself, be it from joy or being like, why? Um, <laughs> why did I do this to myself? Do you set deadlines for yourself? If there's no deadline for something, do you set either a daily, like I'm going to write this many pages or I'm going to write for this many hours or by the end of the week, I'll have this. Yes. If I don't have some external deadline that's put upon me by someone else or like, you know, a deadline, a grant deadline or a deadline to get uh, something into a development opportunity or something. Those are very helpful. It's very helpful to, uh, you know, apply for some of these things because then you have to submit everything by this date. Only a deadline will sometimes really get me to crack down and try to finish what I'm doing. But in absence of that, especially when I was a younger writer, I would start working on a new piece and I would call up my friends and set a date about two weeks to a month hence and ask them to come over to my house to read it. And then that would be my date. Um, I would just have to have something for my friends and colleagues to read in my living room by that deadline. That was very helpful. I love this. Um, we are moving rapidly. This feels like it went by so fast. You, you're, I don't know, you're amazing. What's one thing that most excited you about... I don't know, the future, like projects or things you want to work on? Like what, what excites you as you look ahead for what kind of work um, you'd be interested in doing? Honestly, I had a very interesting experience. I, If you're familiar with my work, you know that I write about like video games and virtual reality. So I got an Oculus last October and started playing around with that. Downside, and I didn't even know this. I've been out of it. I didn't even know this, but it's owned by Facebook. So the downside is that, oh. you know, there's this like corporate, you know, I had to create a Facebook account again because I wasn't on Facebook anymore. But I swallowed, I created a fake account um, just so I could uh, play the Oculus. But then on the flip side of it, and, you know, my approach, my feelings about technology are that it's it's like so many things. There's a plus side and a negative side. The plus side to it is that um, the Sundance Film Festival has a VR component called the New Frontier Festival. And I was able to experience some of those um, offerings um, through my headset. 
And one of them was um, a project. It was these, there were these dancers in Europe and they were real time. I think it was like 2 a.m. their time. You could see them. They were up on the screen. You could see them and they had recovered with electrodes and they were like, okay, we're going to do our piece. And they started moving. And as they started moving, um, the visuals actually became, it was like you were inside almost like a music video and their avatars were dancing. And there was this, so it was, it was kind of like this 30 minute dance party with the landscape changing and their avatars morphing and moving. And sometimes their avatars were like a hundred feet tall and covered in rainbows. And it was very psychedelic, but it was all live. It was all real time. And it got me really, um, it got me really interested in, you know, as we, as we're discussing um, digital projects and Zoom projects, and there is a very interesting sort of argument out there, which I don't understand why it's an argument as to whether, you know, live theater is superior to, to um, um, digital theater. And I, you know, again, I, I'm into embracing new forms, but that experience made me think about what kind of, um, you know, and in terms of doing stuff that that's, that's groundbreaking, like, is there a project I would want to do involving like live VR theatrical experience? Interesting. Ooh, oh my. Have you seen anything recently that, uh, besides what you just mentioned, that is on a stage? Have you been going out to see stuff or are you uh, watching plays sometimes virtually? I know there's been a lot more opportunity, man. Theater, theaters really have been stepping up and giving people an opportunity to see things, you know, it's not ideal seeing it on your computer, but they are making sure that uh, every opportunity is given to see these productions that, you know, as we love about theater, won't ever happen again with this cast in this space. So wondering if you've seen anything recently live or virtually that you uh, that you loved. I have not seen anything live um, except for a couple of concerts, which is awesome. It was great to be able to start seeing music again. Um, I am... Um, so excited to attend the Fusebox Festival in a couple of weeks. That will be my return to live theater. Um, in terms of digital theater, one of my colleagues who I worked with on a, a project of mine, but he's doing amazing stuff in that space. His name is Jared Mazachi. He is a director, writer, and um, he started out as a projection designer, really a media designer. But he did this... Um, really amazing piece. It was almost like a, a horror show for like a live mm. Zoom. Basically, it was telling a ghost story. I shouldn't say horror show. He was like live on Zoom telling this ghost story as it related to this haunted house that his uh, family used to live in. And as he was telling the story, he was actually, he wasn't in the original house, but he was in this sort of um, house that they'd rented that looked like that house. And so as he was telling his story, it was almost like, crazy things were going on in the house. You know, it was sort of like Blair Witch meets meets monologue meets live Zoom theater. And what was great about this is that, and I was in Austin at that time, and Jared was, I think, performing this from Maryland. Um, but I'd invited uh, one of my friends and her husband and their 14-year-old daughter over to come watch this. And they had no idea what they were about to see, you know, and I didn't. I didn't, I hadn't seen it, but I was like, do you want to come see this live zoom piece with me? So they came over um, and apparently their daughter, they have, you know, she's a teenager. She doesn't like to necessarily do stuff with her parents, but she came and they all, I mean, we all had an amazing time and it was cool because we knew that, I mean, Jared was on our screen, but he was, it was live. We knew this was happening right there. 
And we had such a good time. And, and Sadie, the 14 year old, uh, loved it. And I just thought it was really special that we could have this like, you know, cross generational live experience with my amazing colleague um, in another part of the country. And there was stuff he did towards the end of the play where it kind of suddenly shifted your perspective. You know, it does, it did that great thing that, that, that plays can do where, you know, you think you're in one place and suddenly your, your perspective shifts on what's going on. And I, I think that would be my favorite zoom piece that I've seen. The favorite thing I've seen since we've been all locked up because of COVID. If that's something that's still available, share it with us later and we'll put it up on our socials if people can still see it or if it's if it's something that people can uh, tap into because it sounds it sounds amazing. I will. I'll find out if it's still something that, that can that they, they recorded it and can still be watched. Well, this has been uh, a great start to our podcast for the Playwrights Union, the one and only Jen Haley. Uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for starting this. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams when you got together in that backyard in Los Angeles that it would become this? No, not at all. It's been so fun to watch it, to watch it grow. And, and, but I feel like it was kind of ultimately self-serving because all of my best friends in LA came out of this group. I love both. I love it. <laughs> and the community keeps growing and that we get to share it with you in Austin. Um, and then all the people who are listening, wherever they may be. Um, but it's nice to share you with others. <laughs> well, I can't wait to come back and visit and see everyone in person again. I'm hoping, hoping the group gets to meet in person again. It's been a long two years. Thanks for being able to join us today, Jen. We appreciate it. Yeah. Here's to number one. Let's see where this goes, Eric. <laughs> there are a few things I mentioned in this podcast to which I want to give fuller credit. Um, Jared Mazzacci's play is called Someone Else's House. Lolly Ward, former Playwrights Union member, uh, started a group in Portland, Oregon called the Line Storm Playwrights. And I would be remiss if I did not mention the uh, playwrights group in Austin that I was a part of and that gave me so much support when I lived here before and is still going now. And it's called Austin Scriptworks. It was founded by David Cohen, um, run by John Walsh for a long time, and has now been run for a long time by Christy Moore. It's an amazing organization. Thanks to Jen Haley for coming by to talk to us. That was great. So great. So in the Playwrights Union, one of the things that I mentioned before that forges a sense of community is we do challenges. Uh, some of those include write a play in a month, rewrite a play in a month, write a TV pilot in a month. So out of those challenges, some really cool work has come out. Very cool work. Yeah, so here's where you, listening, might want to take note of the following projects from the members and alumni of the Playwrights Union. We've got a lot cooking up. We do. We're going to start with Jen Maisel, who is in the rewrite challenge that's going on right now. And she's working on a play called The Yellow Wallpaper, and that's going to take her to the Great Plains Theater Festival in Omaha in May. Now, there's a local theater here in town in Glendale called the Antaeus Theater Company, and they have something called Lab Results, will be up and running soon and features some Playwrights Union favorites, including Kari Wyatt and his play Speakeasy, which is there as part of Lab Results on April 1st at 8 p.m. Sean Abley has a play called Ghost Bicycle, which is also part of the Antaeus Theater Company's Lab Results. And that's Saturday, April 2nd at 8 p.m. 
Sean also has a play called Attack of the Killer Bees, which is at the Broom Street Theater in Madison, Wisconsin, that runs March 25th through April 16th. Deb Height has a play called Circle Forward, which was initially created as part of the Playwright Union's New Play Challenge in 2021, and it's part of that same Lab Results program. It's going to be up Monday, April 4th at 8 p.m. These are all in person, by the way, but there may be an online element too. You can check out Antias Theater's website for that information. Matt Schatz, a member of the Playwrights Union, has a play called The Burdens, which was written in the Playwright Union's Writing Challenge in 2015. It's opening at Miles Square Theater in New Jersey in April. Matt Schatz also has a musical called A Wicked Soul in Cherry Hill, and it is world premiering at the Geffen Playhouse here in Los Angeles in June. Lisa Kenner Grissom started her play Here Comes the Night in the 2019 Playwriting Challenge, and it has an upcoming workshop with the Inkwell Theater here in Los Angeles April 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Victor Lesniewski has a thriller, The Fifth Domain, and its world premiere will be at Contemporary American Theater Festival in West Virginia this July. Jamie Branley is currently part of Center Theater Group's 2022 Writers' Workshop, where she is writing her new play, The Magician's Sister. The CTG Public Reading Festival is slated for this September. William Nedved is developing his musical Wanderlust with composer Grant Escadon at Cal State Fullerton this April. That is a lot of stuff. Oh my God, that's a lot of stuff. A lot of good stuff. A lot of fun, you know, topics. And uh, this is why I wish I was in person. I'm going to have to figure this out. I'm going to have to figure this out. We are all over the country. We're bad. We're nationwide. If you want to find us and get in touch, we are on Twitter, at PWUnion. We're on Instagram, Playwrights Union. Facebook, The Playwrights Union. We're on Tumblr. We have a website. Oh, man. It's really 2002 up in here. Um, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with either of us, I'm on Twitter, at E. Rudnick. And I'm on Twitter at Write Sam's Write. That's W-R-I-T-E, Sam's, S-A-M-S, Write, W-R-I-T-E, at Twitter. That is a beautiful thing. Wherever you're hearing this, please like and subscribe where that's an option and leave a review. But please be gentle. This is our very, very first episode. But also, read a play. See a play. And take a friend to the theater. And if you see the playwright there, tell him nice work. Goes a long way. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.